All right, turn your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 5 as we continue our study through the book of Ephesians. As we look at this passage, I want us to begin by thinking about something super serious, and that is the game of follow the leader. The game follow the leader, unlike most of its group game brothers and sisters, has some great theological applicability. I want you to think about it. You have a leader at the front of the line, and where he or she goes, you go. When they turn, you turn. When they stop, you stop. You can put it on a whole nother level to where you not only mimic the direction, but the style of walking, thus in a way recreating Monty Python's sketch of the Ministry of Silly Walks. There's even a higher level that you may not have even thought of where you blindfold those following the leader and make them go through an obstacle course trusting alone in the voice of the leader. So much you can do with this one little game. I want us to begin thinking of what might feel a little silly because I think it gives us a great picture that we can hold on to to understand our text today. Throughout the New Testament, and specifically in the book of Ephesians, Paul uses the word walk to talk about our lives. In using this idea of walking through life, this picture of walking down the path of our lives... Paul is going to help us understand the life that we need to live. And so in our passage today, we are going to see what it means to walk like God. To walk following God in a way that imitates God in everything we say and do. So I want us to think about God as the leader of follow the leader. And we are merely following his lead, walking as he walks in a way that is pleasing to him. So what we're going to see this morning is that throughout this text, we're going to see walk, walk, walk. So let's look at this first section, Ephesians chapter 5, beginning of verses 1 to 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Verse 1 begins another section that began in chapter 4 of what it means to follow Jesus in everything that we do. And Paul gives us another big category under which we can figure out how we are supposed to live in this world. So we see in verse 1 there that we are to be imitators of God. I want to pause here and reflect on the weight of this short phrase. That this is the standard of our lives. That the pattern of our lives is not just to be good enough or to try our best, or to be better than the person next to us. 
The standard is that we imitate God himself in everything that we say and do. God himself is the standard by which we judge our lives. And sometimes I think we are not obedient to the word of God because we do not understand the gravity of God's standard of himself. Do we take seriously that everything I do is to be an imitation of God himself? And this is where we get the first walk. So what does it look like to imitate God? Again, this is a large category. The first one here is to walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. But first, I want us to see that we are to imitate God as beloved children. I want you to think about this. We imitate because we have been made God's children. We can probably all point to, and maybe it's a good thing to do this on Father's Day, but examples of young children sneaking into a parent's closet or an older example of finding a box of clothes in the attic from your mom or dad. I swear that's how bell bottoms came back into style in the early 2000s. Thanks a lot, guys. (laughs) But we also see this in that you can often tell who are a parent and child pair. I recently had a conversation with one of the other parents at the kids' school, and they were relating to me how they knew my kids before they knew me. But when I was up on stage doing the school auction, the first words out of her mouth was, that must be Theodore's dad. Again, it's a wonderful word picture for how we are to live We are imitating our Father. But Paul also said we are beloved children. We imitate God because we are loved by God. You have been loved by God. And because of that love, you are called to imitate Him. And you are to imitate Him by also loving others. And Paul gives us a concrete picture of that love. We are to love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. When we need to understand the love that we are to imitate, We are not just pointed to some amorphous recollection of love. We are pointed to the cross of Jesus Christ. How do I know what love is? I look at a Savior who died for me. Who because of his love for his people gave himself up as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. What does it mean to walk in love and imitate God? Is that we are living lives of sacrificial love for others. 
We love because he first loved us. And so we are called in every aspect of our lives to walk in sacrificial love. And in doing so, we imitate the God who loves us. That leads to the next part of our passage, which is in verses 3 to 5. Now, I have to admit, I cheated a little bit in that the word walk is not explicitly in here, but I hope you will forgive me. I mean, it's Father's Day. You have to be nice to me. But I think you'll see how we can take this idea of walking and apply it to here pretty easily. So if the first one was to walk in love, here we walk as a citizen of heaven. Let's look at verses 3 to 5. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Paul begins this section in a pattern we've seen before in Ephesians. Before he gets to what it looks like, he begins with what it doesn't look like. So let's look at these warnings beginning in verse 3. First, Paul says that sexual immorality and all impurity must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Paul forbids sexual expression outside of God-ordained marriage. But again, we see that Paul has a high standard, that it must not even be named among you. That if we are to be followers of God, imitating Jesus, we are to live lives of purity, and specifically here, Paul reminds them of sexual purity. We are to live according to the plan and purposes of God concerning sex. This is a great area of living counterculturally. We are not free to do whatever we want. We are not free to follow the outside culture, even when it comes to the private realm of sexual activity. And this may be one of the most challenging ways in our age and going forward where we must take a stand for what is true and right. That we are to live lives, even in our sexual lives, according to the obedience and law of God. But I also want to connect this to the larger argument of Ephesians. Again, you remember at the beginning of chapter 4, we talked about living a life worthy of the gospel. And I want you to think of it this way. Because sometimes when we talk about this, we only say, no, don't do that. And we need to have a full-orbed understanding as we disciple people in what God says about sexuality. Think of it this way. 
Because our salvation by grace is so great, we are to glorify God by following his plan for sexuality. Too often we overemphasize certain aspects of this where we need a full-orbed, mature understanding of what God says about sex to avoid misunderstanding, to avoid a brittle theology that is easily broken. We need to see both the prohibition against sex outside of marriage, but also I want us to see the beauty of God's plan for human sexuality. That actually in obeying God in this manner that we, it is private but the Lord sees. But that you can glorify God in following his plan for sexuality. We think of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. You were bought with a price. The Son of God died for you. And so we live with sexual integrity. Now, as we talk about this, as we talk about the strict standard that it should not even be named among you, I would be amiss if I did not explicitly say at this time that if you have sinned in this way, there is forgiveness. Sexual sin is not unforgivable sin. But the Bible is clear that when we talk about living our life in Christ, that when we do sin, we must repent. But the glorious promise that when we do repent, we find forgiveness and restoration. Do not follow the world and live by their rules for sexuality, but follow Jesus walking after him, glorifying God in your body. The other category that Paul warns about here is greed. Again, I think it's significant that both sexual sin and greed are right next to each other. This helps us to avoid super bad sins and eh, not so bad sins. But that greed is at the same standard of sexual sins, that it should not even be named among you. Again, this is a place where we must stand against our culture. A culture that creates movies. I know it's an older one, but Wall Street, where the character literally says, greed is good. <laughs> we need to walk in following Jesus that rejects the greed of our culture. That rejects a greed that is loved and encouraged by the materialism of this world. I think we can put this in a category of like what we talked about last week with anger, how easily we justify our anger. 
How easily do we justify our greed, which by the way, as we'll see in the next verse, is called idolatry. Do we think of greed that seriously? That it is actually idolatry. Feel the weight of that warning that it must not even be named among you. Next, Paul looks at what I will call broadly worthless talk. So verse 4, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. This is very similar to what we saw last week in the end of chapter 4, talking about corrupting talk or rotten talk. Paul returns to this issue of Christian speech. Again, I want you to recognize how often the Bible talks about how you speak and what you speak about. And Paul gives these great categories of sinful speech. We have filthiness, foolish talk, crude joking. These together give a broad category of what is unhelpful and often sinful speech. People listen when you talk to them. And are you building them up and showing them Jesus? Or are you speaking with filthiness, foolishness, and crudeness? Again, to help us understand the standard, Paul says that this type of speech is out of place among God's people. But what I think is interesting that Paul does here is what the alternative is. What is the antidote to filthiness, crudeness, and foolishness? Again, in the genius of God's word, it's not just don't do those things. But we are offered a better alternative. And look at verse 4. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. Our speech should be known for how thankful it is. Again, I want us to feel the weight of that. Do we have the reputation that when people think about how we speak to one another, would they say, you know what, they are just so thankful. How easily do we fall into foolish complaining and harshness? It's also important for us to see thanksgiving connected to the other sins listed. Again, when we think of the context of this, I think there's a connection, obviously, directly to this sinful speech. Okay, instead of speaking this way, I'm going to speak this way. But don't miss the connection to the other sins listed. That when I am thankful for the gift of godly sexuality, and I am thankful for the money and things that I have in my life, 
when I am thankful for those things, I am less tempted to sin in those ways. Let me word it this way. I want you to protect yourself with thankfulness. Protect your heart from sexual sin. Protect your heart from greed. Protect your heart from speaking in a way that you know is wrong. Protect yourself with thanksgiving. About this, one author writes, Thanksgiving is almost a synonym for the Christian life. It is the response of gratitude to God's saving activity in creation and redemption, and thus a recognition that he is the ultimate source of every blessing. It's at this point in the passage that Paul moves to a very strong warning. So let's look at that in verse 5. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. People who live this way and are not followers of Jesus, therefore have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Now again, it should be pointed out for clarity's sake, That when he says that everyone who is this way, we know that this is referring to those who live this life in an unrepentant way, in a way that rejects Jesus for this life of sin. But again, I want you to feel the weight of this warning. That if you have rejected Christ to live this type of life, this life of immorality, of impurity, and of greed, then you have shown yourself to not actually be a follower of Jesus. Again, one author about this writes, those who have given themselves over to immorality, impurity, and greed, even if they call themselves Christians, show that they are excluded from eternal life. One way that we're helped to see this very clearly is what I alluded to earlier. That the person who is covetous or greedy, they are in fact an idolater. And I would again also argue that while this is specifically connected to greed, it is true of the other sins as well. And that just as Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, you cannot serve both God and money, we could just as easily say you cannot serve both God and sexual immorality or God and sin. And if you have any other God but the true God through faith in Jesus, you do not have the inheritance of the kingdom of Christ and of God. Paul emphasizes this at the beginning of verse 5 by saying, For you may be sure of this. Paul is pointing to the certainty and the strength of what he is saying. And using this serious language, we must also take it seriously. That we will be tempted to reject Jesus for the life that is described here. But if we reject Jesus, we do not have a place in his kingdom. So what do we do? What is our walk? We walk as citizens of God's kingdom. We follow King Jesus in everything that we do. We leave that old sin behind. 
And we walk as someone who belongs to Jesus as our king. Let's go to the third walk here in verses 6 6 to 14. So if the first one was walking in love, if the next one was walking as a citizen of the kingdom, here we see walking as children of light. Let's begin in verse 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Verses 6 and 7 act as a transition between the different parts of the passage here. And verse 6 begins with a warning about being deceived. Let no one deceive you with empty words. In the immediate context, we should connect this idea of empty words to a deception about judgment and being excluded from God's kingdom. So these empty words that we are warned about are any messages that downgrade the sins of verses 3 to 4 and the judgment of verse 5. And he comes back to this idea of judgment in verse 6, that those who have rejected Jesus and embraced that sinful way of life will experience the wrath of God. Therefore, so judgment is real. And don't be deceived that judgment is not real. Therefore, do not become partners with them. Again, in the context, this idea of partners is partnering with them in their sin. Of living the life that they live. Don't follow the people of this world in the ways that they walk. Those who live in sin and have rejected Jesus will face the judgment of God. And verses 8 to 10 continue with a familiar rhetorical device that we've seen so far, and this idea of then versus now. So we see in verse 8, for at one time you were darkness. Notice it doesn't even say you were in darkness. (laughs) You were darkness. Darkness. Before Christ, to use other language of Ephesians, you were lost and dead in sin. But now you are light in the Lord. Through faith in Jesus, the Ephesians have passed from darkness into light, from death in sin to being made alive in Jesus. And now that they are in the light, Paul tells them, and by extension us, that we are to walk as children of light. What does it mean to walk as children of light? Paul gives us four subcategories to understand what this looks like. Now again, in some of these there is some broadness and there's a lot of overlap, but again, when we see these all together, they can be helpful in helping us decide how we are going to live our lives following Jesus. First one, all that is good. 
Am I doing what is good and helpful to others? Am I serving others? Am I doing what benefits others, not just myself? Secondly, all that is right. This is acting with righteousness, as the NIV translates, and justice. Doing what is right no matter the circumstances. Standing up against wickedness and injustice. Thirdly, all that is true. That we as God's people are to speak the truth and stand up for the truth. And finally, for all that is pleasing to the Lord. Verse 10, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. This specifically speaks to the decisions we make. That we are to try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. I want you to think of that as you think of all the decisions you make in your life. How often do you ask, which one of these is pleasing to the Lord? Sometimes we wait to the very end of our decision process to ask that when we've sort of already made up our minds. (laughs) But if we're walking as children of light, we ask that first. Am I living a life of goodness, righteousness, and truth? Am I living a life that is pleasing to the Lord, not just to me? Paul's going to continue in verses 11 to 14 this idea of walking as a child of light, but again, he's going to take it to the next step of what it looks like. So not only are we to live in a way that is good, right, and true, and pleasing to the Lord, but in verses 11 to 14, he gets into this idea of exposing the darkness. So let's look at those verses. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Similar to what Paul has just said, in that idea of partnering with unbelievers, here Paul says, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. We are to flee from the unfruitful works of darkness as we live out the fruit of life that we saw in verse 9. And again, building on that idea, Paul adds this next level of what it means to walk as children of light. That we see in verse 11 that we are to instead expose them. So what does it mean that we are to expose the unfruitful works of darkness? Now first we need to say that Paul says these sins are even shameful to speak of. Again, holding this high standard of what is sin. And the the radical call on our lives to flee from sin. That sin is wrong. We're not supposed to discuss to see if we can find the good parts of sin to keep. But then he takes this metaphor of light and of exposing the darkness in two ways. So first we see in verse 13 
But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. So when it talks about us exposing the works of darkness, we are by our words and our conduct to expose sin for what it is. We are to make what is hidden and make it visible, bring it to light. The way that we act in our world and in our communities is to expose sin for what it is. But then we see this slightly difficult phrase in the next thing, in verse 14. For anything that becomes visible is light. Here's what I think that means. Is that when we expose sin for what it is, when we live this life of light in our world, we also are used by God to bring transformation in others. So exposing sin has two results. We see sin clearly for what it is, like a light being shown on it. But we also see the result of transformation and that those who have been living in darkness will now live in the light. I love the picture that one of the commentators writes about this, that the conduct of the children of light will shine as a beacon to others. And to back this up, Paul has a quotation. Now again, there's some difficulty here in that this is not one straight, explicit quotation from the Old Testament. It's most likely a composite quotation from both Isaiah 26 and Isaiah 60. If you'd like to know more about that, we can talk later. But recognizing the difficulty in the details, I think the larger idea is clear. That we are to live both by our words and our conduct in such a way that is a call to wake people from spiritual death and darkness. To turn away from that life of sin and turn to the light of life. That we are to be beacons of light in what we say and what we do so that people are converted. That they leave the darkness behind and live as children of light following Jesus. We expose sin for what it is, and we make visible the transformed life of following Jesus and call others to follow us as we follow Jesus. A couple thoughts to conclude this morning. Again, I want you to think of these different walkings that we've seen throughout this text. Number one, imitate God by living a life of sacrificial love. One of the reasons I like this metaphor of walking is that it gives this idea of totality. That everything we do in our lives should be a manifestation of God's love to us as we love others. And as Paul points to the love that Jesus has for us, it helps to focus our energy in that we are called in every step of our life to live with sacrificial love for others. Secondly, walk like a member of God's kingdom in purity, integrity, and thanksgiving. We live as citizens of God's kingdom. 
We do not follow the sexual ethics of our culture. We do not follow our culture in greedy idolatry. We control our speech and use it to build others up. And we walk as people who live under King Jesus. And thirdly, reject and expose the darkness. We live in a dark and fallen world. We need to reject the darkness that this world offers and the sinful darkness of our own hearts. We do not live like unbelievers. But not only do we reject that way of life, we live a life in word and conduct that exposes the darkness like a beacon of light. We are to live out the light of Jesus in this world that exposes sin for what it is, but also shows other the, the transformed life of Jesus that we are called to. As God's people, we lo- walk like God as we walk in love, as we walk as citizens of his kingdom, and as we walk as children of life. We follow our leader, Jesus, in faith and obedience, showing ourselves to be his disciples. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word to us this morning, that by your spirit you would use it to transform us to be more like your son, Jesus Christ that we would live out thankfulness for your saving gospel, that we would live out our salvation by walking after you, that we would follow our leader Jesus in walking in love, walking as citizens of his kingdom, and walking as a light in a dark world. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for watching this video from Hillside Evangelical Free Church. Our hope is that these resources will help you grow as a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. We're located in Greenbank, Washington on Whidbey Island. And if you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to have you join us. You can find out more information at our website at hillside-efc.com.